Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. For this episode, Simon Austin visited Kirby to talk to Liverpool's academy manager, Alex Inglethorpe. Over to Simon. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Alex. Pleasure. It's, uh, it's good to be here. And it's good to be here at the academy today. Seems very busy. Are things back to normal, would you say, after a difficult period? They're certainly approaching normal. We've, we've got all the age groups back in and we've got parents back in as well, which has been a challenge. But, you know, I think it's been, they've been fantastic in how they've approached it. Of course, players and staff have had to recognise there's a, you know, there's a, there's a new way of doing things and we've had to work really hard to try and establish a, a culture of the place around, you know, remaining safe and keeping everyone else safe. Yeah. And what was it like during lockdown? How did you manage to keep engagement, keep things going? Yeah, I think similar to everyone else. I think, you know, we've, we've learned there's probably different ways to communicate, had to learn how to communicate virtually and probably recognise that, you know, the players initially needed a bit of structure, needed some form of, of help around the work. But I think we quickly recognised that also it was a, an opportunity for them. It was an opportunity for us to, you know, we talk about resistant, um, becoming resilient an awful lot. We talk about players needing to become resilient and yet the moment there's a hurdle, we, we try and smooth it out for them. Well, you know, I think we recognise that this was a hurdle. Um, they've been deprived of a lot of things that ordinarily they would have, i.e. football and nice pitches and coaches and all those sort of things. And it's been interesting to see which players have, you know, found ways to continue their own development and, probably take a bit more ownership for that. So I think it's been, you know, in, in, in a very difficult set of circumstances. I'd, I'd like to think that we've tried to remain positive and find the, the opportunities that are there. How have the players found it overall, would you say? I don't, the ones I've spoken to, I think that, you know, the, the initial part would have been all right, but probably like most of us, I think towards the end, I think they, they felt like they were being deprived of doing the things that they enjoyed the most. And, They've had to, like everybody, they've had to get through it. And I think at all the time, I think there's had to be a, a recognition of, how, you know, maybe a little bit of perspective that some people have had it far worse off than, than we have. Mm, definitely. And does it feel like quite a fresh start now? Because obviously you've got the redevelopment of the training ground, quite a few new staff on board as well. Um, has it got that feeling about it of a new era? Uh, I don't think it feels like it's the, a new era. I know, I know what you mean by that, but I think it feels... Like we're just continuing on our journey at the minute. It's, it's a natural evolution of the club. As a club, I think they've worked really, really hard over a lot of a period of years now to try and create something that you know, I think first and foremost is you know can be challenged in, in the first team environment, but something that's supported from an academy perspective and a business perspective. So, you know, I feel that the new training ground or the addition of certain staff is is something that you know we've, we've all worked towards for a, over a period of years now. How big a thing will it be having everyone on the same site, do you think, having the first team with the academy? I think like all things, I think it's, you know, it'll be a fantastic opportunity for us. I think it's great that the younger players can look up the the pathway where we are now and, you know, sort of 200 yards away, they can see the first team building and with every year, the pitch they'll play on will get slightly closer towards that. But ultimately, it's about relationships and, you know, it, it means little if the relationship between the academy and the first team isn't in a good place. So, you know, very, very fortunate, whether it's been here at Kirby or at Melwood, we've had a very good relationship and a strong relationship with the first team, which, you know, certainly has, has meant that the geography of where we are has, has not been quite so important. And when do you expect the new training ground to be open? Hoping it will be soon. Of course, it the, the, the plan would have been for it to have been open by now, but, you know, it's 
clearly been put back a little bit, but we're hoping in the not too distant future that, that we'll be there. And when do you think the first team will move here? Could that be this season? I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm really hoping so. I'm tempted not to push fate too hard on that one, but you know, I think we, we, we hope to be in there. Um, we'd expect to be in there, but you know, we, we have to take each day as it comes. Yeah. And you were talking there about the link between the academy and the first team. How involved would Jürgen be on a sort of day-to-day, week-to-week basis with what you're doing here? Jürgen from day one has been fantastic. I think he's, he's trusted what we're doing. You know, I definitely don't feel like we're being micromanaged in any way. I think that he takes a very, very healthy interest in, in what we do. And you know, the, the best compliment I can pay him is that he knows the players' names, you know, whether they're 18s or, or 23s, he'll, he'll, he'll know them and he'll work with them. And I think that we've had to probably earn that trust a little bit by the, by the players that go up there. They've had to carry the name of the academy and, and prove that they're, they're capable of being in and around the first team. But no, I think it's, it's a, you know, I feel there's a level of trust. He, he, he trusts us to hopefully get on and go about our business of developing young players. And does this kind of ethos filter throughout the academy? So I'm thinking of things like style of play, characteristics he looks for in players, character he looks for. Yeah, I think that probably starts to, you know, I think there's, there's, there's certain non-negotiables which I think would be shared by the academy in the first team irrespective of who manages at the club. And um, But I think in terms of style of play, that sharpens towards the 18s and the 23s. I think that at that stage, they start to do a fairly decent impression of of the first team. Of course, they, they're young kids, so they don't get it right all the time, And but they'll, they'll try. Lower down, it depends on the age groups, you know, probably under nine, whilst we want them to get the ball back and win the ball back. And we also want them to stay on the ball and enjoy it. So there's different priorities at different age groups. Yeah, yeah. So did your job change quite a bit when he came in? Not really. I don't think it changed in, in as much as I think there's always been a you know, a fairly robust plan about what we wanted to do at the academy. I think that the, the job changes in as much as you adapt to the needs of the first team manager. And you adapt to the you know the, the 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 types of player that he would want to to work with. So we have to work hard to understand what those demands are, and then making sure that our 18s and 23s that there's no big surprises when they go up there. Otherwise, we failed them. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want them to go up there. And for some boys that have worked you know 10 years at the academy of coming in training, you know, four times a week or three times a week and playing a game, and that involves parents and often grandparents and siblings. And if they're to get their one audition, you know, then I don't want them to, to fail it because it's something that we've not prepared them for. And I know people talk about the Liverpool way. How would you describe that to an outsider? Well, well I am an outsider. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, um, I think there are people far better qualified than me to talk about the Liverpool way, people that have been here for tens of years, um, people like Steve Highway or Sir Kenny Dalglish. I think they're entitled to talk about the Liverpool way. I think Stephen Gerrard is. What I can say is it's a unique club in terms of how how the people think, the demands of the supporters and the passion of the city. I think it's a unique club in terms of that approach. And I think that the Liverpool way is probably embodied, embodied in, in the supporters and the style of play and, and, and the demands that the city makes upon you. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the, the development jigsaw, it, it's a very complex thing, isn't it, really? Like you say, differing through the ages... And then the process of actually the players making that transition to the first team. So are there quite a few people involved in that? Yeah, I suppose there's, you know, I'm very well supported at the academy. I think we have, um, we've tried really hard to bring in people that I think have got experience and expertise in their fields, people that are, you know, first and foremost, just outstanding human beings. And then 
you know, but they have a, a real knowledge around whichever age group they are working with. And, and then you try and establish sort of a harmony within that that allows people just to get on and do their jobs and pass that player on to the next phase, if you like, and, and trust them to continue the work. Yeah. And how does that transition actually work? So I'm thinking like Vitor Matas, who's been in for the last season. How, how does that work, really? Does he spend a lot of time here or would the majority of his time be at Melwood? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think Vitor sort of came in towards the back end of last year, towards the right middle later, of the season. Right. So, um, you know, Vitor's a fantastic resource for us who will spend a lot of time at, you know, Melwood and we're in the first team. Because obviously there's a lot of young players still still there who need some care and attention. You know, so primarily his role is around making sure that when they do go to Melwood that they do get a games programme regularly, that if there are extra sessions they need, then he can support them with that. You know, because I think that if you think about in recent times, whether it's been a young Nico Williams or Curtis Jones or whether it's been Kijana Hoiver or, or Sepp or whoever it's been, you know, there's, there's been a lot of young players up there and often they need something a little bit different to perhaps the established first-team players. Yeah, and would you work very closely with Julian Ward as well, who's managing the loans? Yeah, of course, Julian, you know, you know, Michael Edwards, Julian, they're all very much a part of that process around, you know, because the only thing I can say about development is that, you know, there isn't a blueprint. Everyone's going to need something slightly different. You know, so what is right for Ryan Brewster may not be right for Curtis Jones and, you know, or Harry Wilson or whoever it might be. So I think that we've had to, you know, sort of like work really hard at just working out exactly what each individual needs. But it is very complex, isn't it? And different for every player. Um, you know, whether they do go out on loan, whether they stay with you, yeah, get sold on and so on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Um, and, and sometimes you have to adapt the plan as it goes. You know, I don't think you can sort of write a you know, a document for a player age 16 and say, okay, this is going to be his, his plan for the next five, six years. It doesn't tend to work that way. You, you know, you might have an outline of your mind of what, what they think they might need, but pretty often during that, you have to adapt and you have to change and, and move in a different direction depending on the circumstances. Yeah, because I suppose the ultimate objective is to get in the Liverpool first team, but you've probably got to be one of the best players in the world in that position, have you, really, to, to, well, you have, to make it? I think that there's different ways of doing it. You know, if you look at, Oh, Salah, I mean, his journey to Liverpool was obviously via three or four clubs and sometimes those clubs, that you know, it wasn't necessarily success. But what you can say is about him all the time, he, he learned. And he, he learned how to solve problems, cope, probably learned how to develop himself a little bit. And it's the same. And on the other hand, you might have Trent. You know, Trent didn't need those four or five clubs. And when he came into the first team, he wasn't the best right back in the world. You know, in, in my opinion, he, you know, I think you can make a very strong argument that he is now. But... He wasn't when he went in. So, you know, part of his development has been playing alongside of, alongside, you know, a Henderson or a Milner or, you know, of course, being coached by the manager as well. So, yeah. you know, I think every every player will have a slightly different story and a slightly different journey. Yeah. So I suppose ultimately you always need the opportunities, don't you, no matter how good you are as a young player? Yeah, some have got to accumulate games somewhere else, you know, and, and they've got to demonstrate that they're capable of playing senior football and be patient because maybe there's a player who's already playing in that position that is considered sort of world-class, then maybe they'd have to be patient and, and, and accumulate games elsewhere and suggest that they're going to be good enough. Sometimes they just have to be patient waiting in the background and, and wait for an opportunity. And when they get the opportunity, then they have to do their very, very best to, you know, to take it and put maybe doubt in the manager's mind that, you know, that, that there, is a, there is an alternative that, that they are capable of playing. Yeah. So how did it actually work with Trent? Was that a case of the manager seeing the potential in him or did you have to do 
much persuading at the academy to say how good he was and how good he could be? No, I don't think there was much persuading needed to be done. I think you never know with a player until they, you know, they're they're in that company, they're in the senior, you know, amongst senior players. And I don't think you ever really know until they, the ultimate set is playing at Anfield. You know, they'll be the ultimate judges there. But I think it's usually, it's a mixture of everything with development. It's not just one thing. It's the work that would have been done at the academy and then it's the work that would have been done at Melwood and it's the work that the first team players would have done. And then it's, above all of that, the work that Trent would have done to, to develop himself and, of course, his family. Yeah. And do you feel you've got a manager who is always going to give a young homegrown player every opportunity that he can? Yeah, he's the best youth coach in the world. You know, he's... he's um, He's fantastic. I think he's got real empathy for young players and young people. I think he knows they make mistakes. I think he, you know, he has this wonderful way of of handling them and understanding where they are in their lives. And you know, but at the same time, I think he's you know he's a very strong guide for them. You know, he'll he'll let them know exactly what what he demands from them. So I think we're very very lucky that he will give them their their opportunity. Yeah. And is it very important to have a figurehead like Trent, who's currently in the first team? Does that really spur all the players on who here? It certainly helps. I think otherwise you're just talking about something which is, you know, you're hypothesising around, you know, someone can get in. So, you know, I think there's a difference for me. I think debuts have always been relatively easy to come by. I don't think that's the hard bit. I think, and that's not taking anything away from a boy that makes a debut, but there's a world of difference between that and someone who can stay in the team. And then I think there's a world of difference between that and someone that can win things with the club. And that's the ultimate measure. You know, otherwise, why are we doing this? Why are we working ridiculous hours and doing what we're doing unless we believe that players can go in and they can actually not only improve the first team, but they can help the first team win trophies. And I was reading that he still stays quite involved personally with the academy. Who's that, Trent? Uh, Trent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Trent does, yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's an amazing young man and I've been very privileged to see his... You know, he, he matured since he's been in the academy and, and left, and um, I'm, I'm I'm very very proud of him. Yeah. And did, did he hand the contracts out? I was reading to the eight year olds this yeah. season yeah. And, and last season. Yeah, he did. Well. No, he, he he does that. He he more than plays his part. And when he's here, he's genuinely pleased to see everybody, as as of course we are to see him. But when he's here, he's you know very respectful, and you know I think he recognises the part that a lot of coaches have played in in his own development. And have you got others that can quickly follow in his footsteps, do you think? Oh, I don't know, have you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, win the Premier League? Nostradamus. Playing yeah. two, <laughs> two Champions League finals. Um, I'd love to think so. I, no, actually, I, I do think we have. I, I know we've got players here that will play for the club and, and will be good enough to play for the club. But they, along that way, they're going to need a, you know, more than their fair share of luck. They're going to need to be patient. They're going to need to realise that there's an awful lot of hard work to be done. But they will have support all the time they're here. And I know you get asked this a lot, but are there any that you would sort of pick out in particular that we should look out for? That I we think might not that out of 180 boys, 200 boys, it'd be very unfair of me to single out one or two. And also I think that then it becomes a little bit of um, that, that extra bit of pressure that, that goes with that, if I were to mention it. I think that would be um, probably counterproductive in the end. I, I think that would go against them. So there are boys who, are, who I'd be very disappointed if they didn't run it very, very close. Yeah. I saw Leighton Stewart's got a hat-trick in the again a couple of nights ago for the 18s and you talked about it before. It looks a very good prospect. Yeah, no, but the same with all of them. Leighton's got a lot to do. You know, he's, he's got to get into the 23s first before we start talking about whether he can go to Melwood. But um, he's certainly on the right pathway at the minute. But like all the boys, he's got you know so much to do before he can even think about challenging for the, um, for the number nine shirt at, at Liverpool. Yeah. And... Going all the way back then to the 
youngest ages, the pre-academy. I know there's quite a lot of conjecture about that, really, and how regulated that should be, whether boys that age should be involved uh, with academies. What, what do you think about that? I suppose I've been really fortunate in that, coinciding with my, my sort of son being mad keen on football and a five or six-year-old, I've, I've sort of experienced the academy system via him. And I've, I've been, I've got to be honest, quite pleasantly surprised by how how good it is. Uh, I can only speak for us here, but I, I think a combination of, you know, you can still play grassroots during that time. And, and of course, if you if you can be involved in academy training setup as well, then I think that adds to it. All I know is that here it's very much around fun and enjoyment and, and us not wanting to kill their spirit for the, for the game. It's certainly something where we don't over-professionalise it they're real babies, but we, we know we like to think that we add to their footballing experience over their week. And if that means that they come here and get, you know, part of a of a lovely environment, then it's something that, you know, I personally have found really good. Yeah. Oh, excellent. And it's not very good for a podcast, but I can see uh, some young kids playing out there behind us. What yeah. what sort of age would they be there? That would be our under sevens. Oh right, okay. There's one ball and they're all chasing around after it. It looks like it should look. You know, it, it just looks like they're having a bit of fun. Wonderful day. Coach isn't stopping it too much. Not not standing still. They're running hard. What more do you want? Yeah. So what what would they be doing at those sort of ages? How often would they come in and what are the sessions like? Primarily what they do is they just come in and... I, know, I think that the... Um, the level of interaction with the car, I, I mean, I've got some coaches there that I think are outstanding because I've, I've actually done my stint in the pre-academy uh, a few years ago. And I can tell you it is the hardest session of, you know, happily take the 23s or take the 18s. That when you're taking six and seven-year-olds, that you, you earn your money. It is really tough. And, um, but, you know, I think they're fantastic. So ordinarily what they do is, you know, it's very much based on, 3v3, 4v4 games and just letting them play and just encouraging them and, and making sure that they feel very, very free to explore the game. It's, you know, at that age, it's wonderful. You've got everything ahead of you. So for me, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's very much probably led by the wants of the players. Is your son at Liverpool's academy? Yes. All oh, right. Okay. And what, what age is he? He's in the under 12s. Oh, right. Okay. So, and he has probably a harder time of it than anybody <laughs> else. He has to work twice as hard to earn the right to stay here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you do a lot of work on recruitment at those ages as well? Because I'm thinking again, like Chelsea, they have brought quite a lot of players through from six, haven't they, all the way to the first team? Yeah, and if you look at us, I mean, Trent, Harry Wilson, Curtis, Nico, they've all been here since the age of six. You know, so, um, you know, and, and, and the ones that maybe aren't with us anymore, Ryan Kemp was here as a, in, in pre-academy. I think that it has to be the lifeblood of, of what you do at an academy that, you know, of course we look to add along that journey, but... Um, it should be the one or two that makes a significant difference to the group. You're, you're, you know, the mainstay of the group, I, I think, are probably in your building at a very, very young age. I know that differs. I think that differs from depending on which region you're in. You know, it might that might have been a bit different when I was at Tottenham working in London. I think that that potentially that, that was probably a bit different because of maybe the the, the the migration within London. But here in in the northwest, I've I found it pretty much to be. The, the, the mainstay of our groups tends to be with us at pre-academy. Right, okay. And then you're teaching them very good habits and very good coaching from a very young age, basically. Yeah, but again, you know, they, they're young. They're really, really young. So we have to be very, very careful at 9, 10, 11 years of age not to kill their enthusiasm for the game. They're, they're with us potentially for a long time. And I've always thought it starts getting a bit more serious around about 14. I think that's the age when you can 
maybe have a conversation with a parent and say, well, you know, th- th- this might end up as a job. Up until that point, I think it's a fantastic pastime. It's a hobby. Yeah. Would you have worries for the ones who don't make it, who are coming in very young? I think if you do it right, and we try hard here to do it right, but I wouldn't have the worries if I think that if it's not over-professionalised, if you can see the advantages of maybe, okay, keeping fit, testing yourself, um, playing against some of the best players in the Northwest, playing with some of the best players in the Northwest, visiting different countries, um, learning about you know, really good habits. I think that's something that can, can add to a, a boy's life. I think the external forces around how much pressure they're getting from home obviously has to play a part as well because, you know, whilst every boy wants to end up playing for Liverpool at Anfield, that's, that's just not going to be possible or realistic. So, you know, I'd like to think that we have the balance here, you know, as, as close to right as, as we can. Yeah. And I read an article, I think it was in The Athletic, where you are saying that you're looking at physical profiles a lot even at young ages so is that something you're looking out for i think it's a it's a part of the jigsaw but it's, it's certainly not everything you know i think i'd have made too many mistakes in the past if it was just going to be on your athletic potential whilst i do recognize that you know you, you have got to be capable of, of playing football and robust enough to play it it's it, you know certainly isn't everything because there's too many you know wonderful examples out there of, of people that maybe wouldn't have been seen in that way as a as a young player there's not really like a, a particular profile of player you're looking for. It can't no, be that simple. <laughs> no, the, you know, one of the things I love about football is that you know, everyone should be able to play it you know, pretty much in terms of you know, there's so many different types and so many fantastic examples of, of top players that have different characteristics. Some are ridiculously fast and strong and powerful and others are just maybe not I mean, a bit more slight, but, but you, know, you know, agile, got a, you know, uh, others are wonderful technicians and you just think that's the beauty of football it, it, it allows for different types and that means that the game doesn't become too homogenised too too soon and that you, you don't just see one type of player or one type of style of football and you know that's why I love it and what would you say your KPIs as an academy manager what are your like, measures of success well we're um, we're not a charity so I don't expect the club to keep giving us money every year and not pay it back. You know, I think we've got to be a self-sustaining business, you know, and a part of the the club that actually contributes and pays its way. Now we can pay our we can pay our way in a, in a variety of ways. I guess the, the linear, most linear way of doing that is to get someone straight into your first team. So thank you, Trent, for doing that. Uh, another way of paying it back might be that someone doesn't quite make the first team, and you know we're able to get to generate some money and that can contribute to either what we've spent or maybe that can help the first team buy players, you know, so people like, you know, Rafa Camacho or Ryan Kent or Brad Smith or Jordan Ibe or players like that, you know, that, you know, maybe they don't quite make the level here. So, you know, the different KPIs, I suppose one of the KPIs I, I put in is that you know, I am just as proud of watching Maddie Virtue play for Blackpool as I am Trent, you know, I love, I love reading the names of the day after a game and, and seeing the boys that were with us. And all right, maybe we didn't sell them for vast amounts, but I, I'm, I'm proud that they've been, they're in a job that they love and that we've maybe played a part in doing that. And I think the final one would be, even if they're not involved in football, just making sure that they're happy and just seeing that they're, they're fulfilled as a person and that maybe they look back and, and that they can see the academy played a part, of, you know, a, a nice part or an important part of their life where we gave them some values and, and taught them some things that they, they've been able to take with them. And that final decision about whether to loan someone or sell them, 
is that collective? Is that Michael Edwards ultimately will decide that? I think it's collective. It's, you know, I think ultimately there's got to be a decision maker, isn't there? So I'm sure that between the boss and, and Michael Edwards, I'm sure they decide on, you know, who would go where. But I think you know, I'm very lucky to be part of a club where there's, you know, people's opinions to listen to. And you know, I think that that's, that, that's also important to, to help people feel valued. Is it very different from your own background as a player when you were coming through? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm not sure I'd come through now. I think I was very lucky in the year that I did. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I wouldn't, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been good enough to come through. But yeah, I think it is different. I think there's a greater understanding now on development of children and what they need. There's a, there's a far better understanding about probably all four corners, including the psychological one. Um, I think the aftercare is is better now. You know, it's not to say that everything in the past was bad either. You know, I think that previously it probably did give you more access to grassroots football for a longer age, which I think was a healthy a healthy pursuit. But um, no, but by and large, it's, it's certainly different now. Yeah. And I know you've been conscious of trying to keep the players grounded as well, haven't you? Um, thinking of things like the salary cap for the first year pros. Yeah, I think it's important. I think you can, um, you know, we've got to look back to most, we speak to most 17-year-old lads or men or, or men and they look back to when they were 17 and could they have handled vast amounts of money I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer is no you know and it's only got to affect you by 5-10% even the most sensible ones if it affects them a little bit then that's enough to turn you know a promising career into something else so you know I'm a bit old fashioned like that I, I do have a belief that you should build a career and, and gratification should be deferred it should be something that you work towards and as you improve and as you gain more experience or then, then you're rewarded accordingly and um, you have to earn the right for that. Is it still 40,000, the cap for the first year price? Yeah. yeah. And has that affected your ability to sign anyone? Uh, I don't think so. I think that I'd love to think that if you wanted to sign for Liverpool, it would be because you wanted to play for, in my opinion, the best, you know, one of the best clubs in the world, not because you necessarily saw it as, a, as an early paycheck. You know, of course. I recognise that as much as there is a, you know, there's a there's a structure in place. If you've got someone that's doing ever so well and you know perhaps going the first team and they're 16 years old, then of course you know they have to be paid, you know, in according to where they are. But by and large, every player signed the first contract, it's the, it's the same one. And then then it can rise quite a bit then after that. Yeah, but again, it's it's, it's it, you have to earn it. <laughs> you know, it's that's how life is or how life should be. And the more experience you get, the the more you're trusted then relative to you know where you wanted who wants you then you, you're, of course your wage can can rise but again I'd like to think that we're sensible in that approach to developing kids and going back to Trent you worked with him for a long time did, did you always think that he could go on and become what he has oh what a great question um if I'm being honest yes but they're always you, ha- you have days and doubts where you know where you, where you see session that didn't go quite so well or you see a trait in them that you think oh I'm not sure about that and you know you can, they can certainly put doubt in your mind but um, I think that it's for, for him his, his his journey has been um, has been a really interesting one because you know when you, when you first go in and he, and he started playing for the club you, you could sort of you, you maybe watch the game through your fingers a little bit because you'd be thinking oh you know, I'm not sure you can cope with this or we're up against him today and how are you are going to do it but I think that you never really know until they the, they go in I think I said that earlier and then it's about their ability to to adapt yeah you know and whether they can concentrate because it's it's not just going in and playing well in one game it's then having to recover and play well two three days later and doing the same thing for 50 60 games in a season it, it seems like there's a little bit more thought and support for that transition now 
as I say, than maybe there was, because you, you did hear of people getting dropped in the first team and then kind of left, really. And it's yeah. quite hard, isn't it, that jump? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really big jump. And, you know, it's no surprise that some people can, can make it straight away and others might need to sort of come away from it a little bit and then find a way back. But, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of working with youth. It's, you know, they, they all present you with slightly different problems. And, um, and you're right, it, it, you know, it, uh, I think there is more support now. I think there is a little bit more understanding that maybe that they might need a few years to, to sort of find their way through. Yeah, and I've written a lot about data and Liverpool's data science, which is meant to be the best but I suppose this isn't an exact science is it really with young players no no because you, you don't know how they're going to react to disappointment I speak a lot about gold medalists and how I sometimes worry when you see the gold medalists in the group and you worry about the first time they're going to have to overcome a, a difficulty in their life and if that difficulty comes if the first time they're having to overcome something is is later then you, you worry about whether you know how how they'll how they'll deal with that. Whereas it's often the silver and bronze medalists that you see constantly having to overcome problems, constantly having to solve, and they're the ones who who invariably, in my opinion, they, they're the ones that tend to come through. Yeah, are you able to build that into the program? Those tests and I think we're getting better at it. I mean, you've got to be careful that it's not too false the test. But I think sometimes our um, I think within society now we've become quite keen to solve every problem that comes along. It worries me now. I heard a great analogy the other day around problems in the playground that used to be solved by the dinner lady. Now she used to be the one who would, you know, be the arbitrator of what needs to go to the headmaster or escalate and and what could just be left alone. And now it seems that you know the moment there's a problem, there's a there's a group of adults sitting in the room around a child and you know trying to solve the problem for them. Whereas you know I just think that you know it's, it's normal for a child to encounter hurdles during their development and during their childhood, and it's. You know, I think I think it's quite healthy for them to have to find a way and solve the problem themselves. Sometimes that's interesting. Yeah, I've heard quite a few people talk about that. Dave Parnaby was saying maybe there are too many coaches. It's too formal. The conditions are very good. Um, yeah. Whereas the old sort of playing on the schoolyard or whatever or field, you're yeah. managing it yourself, solving problems yourself. Yeah. Well, listen, Dave's excellent. You know, he's he's, he's outstanding and, and has had an outstanding career in. In football, and he's certainly someone that I've I've looked up to from, you know, from quite a while ago when I met. I was fortunate enough to meet him when I was at Tottenham. So, you know, I think whatever Dave says goes, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Going back to your own career, do some of your experiences influence what you do? Because you know, I read about Leatherhead when you were there, and um, you know, the budgets wouldn't be the same, obviously, as they are now. No, definitely not. I think so. I think you can't help but draw from those experiences. I, I feel very, very lucky that my experiences or early experiences as a as a coach were you know Lewisham College or Leatherhead or Leighton Orient youth team where there wasn't the money in the budget and there wasn't the support around you didn't have sports science or you didn't have a goalkeeping coach or even a physio and you had to learn these things you know um, and, you, and you had to sort of try and you know be very creative around solving problems of what you didn't have um, and probably focus more on what you did have if I'm being honest you know it's only natural that I still probably draw from them you know quite often yeah yeah I know when we were talking to Nick Cox he was saying you want to have the resources but almost create the feeling you don't have the resources because then you're more creative as you say yeah no I think so I think that's what we've tried really hard here you know whilst I, I recognise it's a it's, it's a wonderful environment for the kids to be in I don't want them to feel that they're living in excess I don't want them to feel like they've already arrived so you know our choice of you know everything I, I think I think how we are with them 
is it has to be such that they feel grounded, that they've got something to to aspire to. You know, I don't want them living in Disney World. And just to wrap up, I'm thinking it must be a really good place to be, obviously, yeah. Premier League champions. Um, and you must feel like what you do is a key part of the club for the manager and for the owners as well. Yeah, I do. I feel I feel like I'm at a club where the academy is valued. I know that um, you know Mike Gordon plays a, a significant part and, and has a, a real interest in the academy, as do the, the boss and, of course, Michael Edwards and everyone has a, has a real interest. And of course, when they do, that makes you feel very valued and it makes you feel that what you're doing is noticed. And I'm also very, very fortunate to be surrounded by some outstanding staff. You know, I'd be remiss of me not to, you know, this isn't a, certainly not a one-man show. You know, I've got so many people here who help me from, whether it's Nick Marshall or whether it's Martin Diggle or Andrew Powsland or Tim Devine. You know, I've got so many people around who are genuinely outstanding in what they do that, um, you know, I think that, like you say, even though the club are currently Premier League champions or, you know, we've won the Champions League in the last couple of years, I feel that that's very much the first team's success. And, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't become complacent or bask in that reflected light because it's it's not ours. It's, um, you know, we have to try and, you know, continue to work really, really hard to help support the first team with with players that they might might be able to use in the future. Mm. Um, we met Steve Highway earlier on. Is is he still very influential here? You know what, he's 72 and he's still probably our best coach. He's, you know, he's enthusiasm to get up and work and still, you know, drive the the kids and the standards is, you know, it's, it's been it's been amazing for us. And it's been great for me. I'm, I'm lucky because, you know, I've got, like I said, I think I mentioned Nick Marshall who used to be the academy manager at Nottingham Forest or Tim Devine that used to be the academy manager at Everton. And you've only got Steve here who used to be the academy manager here. So, you know, they're all quick to tell me if I'm uh, if I'm not going in the right direction. Oh, okay. What's his actual title and role now? He's just ahead of being Steve Highway. Right. <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need any other role than that. Huh. Um, he'll, he'll work primarily with the under-15s and the 16s. Okay. Um, but, you know, he wouldn't be surprised if he came here on a night he's not meant to be in and he's working with the under-10s. Oh, okay. You know, he'll, uh, he'll find a way. Yeah. And I know you talked at the start about culture. I suppose he's the kind of golden thread, is he? Yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, we have people around that, you know, I've always said with Liverpool, you don't want to live in the past, but you have to respect it and you have to learn from it. And, you know, we're very lucky that Sir Kenny Dalglish comes in to the academy and plays a prominent part. You know, um, Steve McManaman, Rob Jones, Robbie Fowler, Michael Thomas has just come back in and starting to work now with some of the younger age groups as well. So it's important that we have people around that understand. I think you mentioned the Liverpool way earlier. And it's it's really important that we have people that can pass on the baton, if you like, or, or, or pass on their experience, whilst understanding that we also want to try and create something new and we want to, you know, we, we want to create a new history and, and not, not live in a previous one. Fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next week with highlights from the future game webinar. See you then.